Hi, everybody. Um, I would like to suggest that the coffee maker is in question because there's way too much energy going on here. I've got to be honest with you, I'd rather listen to the guy with 49 years talk, to be honest with you. I have readings. I don't know if I'm going to include them. Um, I realized something today. Um, I've heard it said that uh, the way meetings get started is uh, with a resentment in a coffee pot. And there's a lot of meetings in New Jersey, so. (laughs) Figure that one out on your own. This is what I think about. I don't know about anybody else. Um, what a what a cool night! Um, I want to begin with a joke. Uh, very often, I tell jokes to impress the women. This one is to impress the men. This is called meeting her needs. Pay attention. (laughs) One evening last week, my wife and I were getting into bed. Well, the passion started to heat up, but she eventually said, I don't feel like it. I just want to be held. I said, what? What was that? So she said the words that every husband on the planet dreads to hear. She said, you're just not in touch with my emotional needs as a woman enough for me to satisfy your physical needs as a man. She then responded to my puzzled look by saying, can't you just love me for who I am and not for what I can do in the bedroom? Realizing that nothing was going to happen that night, we talked for a few minutes and then I went to sleep. The very... (laughs) The very next day, I opted to take off from work to spend some time with my wife. We went out for a nice lunch and then we went shopping at a big, big unnamed department store. I walked around with her for a while, and she tried on several very expensive outfits. She couldn't decide which one to take, so I told her, we'll just buy all of them. She wanted new shoes to complement her new clothes, so I said, let's get a pair for each outfit. We went on to the jewelry department where she picked, on, or she put, she picked out a pair of diamond earrings. Let me tell you, she was so excited. She must have thought I was, she must have thought I was one wave short of a shipwreck. I had never heard that expression before, but I'm sure, I'm sure living down the shore you've heard that before, right? <clears throat> I started to think that she was testing me because she asked for a tennis bracelet when she doesn't even know how to play tennis. I think I threw her for a loop, though, when I said, that's fine, honey. She was almost near sexual satisfaction from all the excitement. <laughs> That was laughter of identification. (laughs) Smiling and excited anticipation, she finally said, I think this is all, dear. Let's go to the cashier. I could hardly contain myself when I blurted out, No, honey, I don't feel like it. Her face just went completely blank as her jaw dropped with a baffled what? And then I said, really, honey, I just want you to hold this stuff for a while. (laughs) You're just not in touch with my financial needs as a man for me to... (laughs) Let me repeat that. You're just not in touch with my financial needs as a man enough for me to satisfy your shopping needs as a woman. (laughs) And just just when she had this look like she was going to kill me, I added, why can't you just love me for who I am and not for the things that I buy you? (laughs) Apparently, I'm not having sex tonight either.
I just had to share that. <laughs> Having said that, I'd like to ask my higher power to put the words in my mouth and put love in my heart and help me speak the truth. Um, at some point in my talk, I'm going to cry. So those that are co-criers, get out your tissues now. Um, I, 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 when, I, when I get real, I cry. So get over it. I really love the, uh, the topic that you guys had and, and the skit, and, and it, was, it was hysterical. It was, it was very, very cool. Um, I appreciate weird stuff, and that was very weird. So, uh. <laughs> I especially love the, uh, the uh, program Unity and Service. Uh, it's a big part of, of what I pass along to people that I work with, that uh, for a long time, I, I thought that don't drink and go to meetings was AA's solution to alcoholism. And for three and a half years, I was incredibly miserable, progressively getting pre more miserable as time went on, and I couldn't understand why. And uh, I was going to a lot of meetings, and I was cleaning up ashtrays, and I was, I was making coffee, and I was leading meetings, and uh, I was dying inside. Uh, basically... Um, if you had asked me how I was doing, I was doing great. You know, uh, I was doing better than I had ever been. You know, I wasn't getting arrested anymore. I wasn't as obviously and as blatantly obnoxious toward other people. Uh, and then something kicked in after three and a half years, and that's called pride. And after three and a half years, that's pretty substantial here in AA. And, uh, you know, you can't really tell people that you're, like, dying and you're thinking about killing yourself because uh, you're still doing all those things that you always did, uh, except you're just not drinking. And uh, um, I would not wish that on anyone, uh, not even my worst enemy. And hopefully my message tonight will convey the fact that uh, with as many people as are here, I'm sure some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and, and for me, that's why the, the, the three-part solution to a three-part problem, physical, mental, and spiritual, is is a key to what I practice and a key to what I pass along to people I work with. That, that uh, the base of the triangle, you know, the circle and triangle, the, the, the symbol that used to be on our literature, uh, contains the, the program Unity and Service, the three parts that everybody talked about tonight. And uh, uh, the program, which is the base of the triangle, which is the, 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 the um, recovery of the program, the steps, is the base of the program, which everything else is built upon. And then the left side of the triangle is Unity, which is fellowship and going to meetings and interacting with other AAs, and that has 12 traditions involved with it. And uh, the right side of the triangle, which is service, um, which is the, the giving back, expecting nothing in return. And let me repeat that, expecting nothing in return um, uh, has the 12 concepts and warranties and all kinds of cool stuff that most people don't read very much. Um, and I was happy that it was talked about tonight because it's sort of a missed piece uh, and, and just like the steps, the traditions and the, and the uh, uh, concepts can be used as a personal way of life uh, when understood and when practiced. Um, it's an incredible threefold uh, solution to our problem. Uh, also, the circle and triangle used to represent uh, body, mind, and soul, a wholeness or a oneness. It was a spiritual symbol that represented body, mind, and soul, all three parts of the full human experience that if we can grow um, you know, where we take the body, physically where we go is to meetings. Where we take the mind is to the steps, and that helps us awaken spiritually. And then the way we grow spiritually is by work and self-sacrifice for others in the service area. So it's a full, it's a full three-fold solution. And uh, first of all, it was news to me at three years that there was a three-fold solution. I had never really heard that before, and I was grateful for the people that came into my life that explained that to me because I saw what my problem was. I was only involved at meetings. I wasn't working any steps, and I wasn't really involved in service. And then when I did start doing those two things, my life exploded in an in incredible, every area of my life improved. Um, uh, and, and the amazing thing is, is that I started to feel comfortable in my own skin, and I had never experienced that before. So, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that they talked about three parts because not only do I have to realize that there are three parts of the solution, but I need to ask myself, am I currently involved in all three parts? 
because I, I've known people that were going to a lot of meetings but kind of got away from step work or stopped going to meetings, were heavily involved in service. And I've known people like that that went back to drinking. But I've never known anyone that was working all three parts of the solution that ever went back to drinking. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And for me, that's really important, all three parts. We need to emphasize that a whole lot more in our meetings. Uh, and I'm grateful that it was emphasized here. Um, I want to thank the committee. Um, today was really very cool for me. Uh, I can't wait to hear what I have to say. Uh, Robbie mentioned it. Uh, I just got back. Oh, oh, uh, um, oh, oh, just so important. Tomorrow is my 13-year anniversary. Oh. Tomorrow marks the day of zero because for from 17 to 30, I drank alcoholically, and now I've been sober for 13 years. So now I'm I'm zero. I can I can I can do whatever I want now. I can. <laughs> And what's cool is I, I, I found something here that, that how, could, how could you ever give it away, you know what I mean? I, I, I can't relate to people that say that, you know, I came to AA and I got my life back. I never had a life. Um, you know, somebody had mentioned it, you know, drinking and living was two full-time jobs. I mean, um, and then lying, that's a third full-time job. And then, you know, you know, keeping a front, that's a whole, you know what I mean? Like, it, it was a horror. It was a horror life. Um, I'm not really a big uh, junk log person. Um, sometimes the way I describe my story is that when I was 17, I went to this party, and when I was 30, I came home from that party. <laughs> or another way of describing it was that at 17, I was, uh, I was an alcoholic, and at 30, I realized it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a little bit closer, I think. And... Um, I just came back from being in Russia for 10 days and, and you know, what, what, what is wrong with this world when an 80 year old woman on her knees is begging because she can't have food that day? I don't know about you, but I can't walk by stuff like that. And it was interesting because uh, we contacted, um, I told you I was going to cry. We contacted the Moscow Inner Group, and we, we were in St. Petersburg, and we asked how many meetings are in St. Petersburg? Where, where are the meetings in St. Petersburg? We want to get to a couple meetings. And the gentleman said, there's 10 meetings, or there's 10 groups, I'm sorry, because uh, most groups have more than one meeting. And uh, there's only two that they know that are solid. And AA has been there since the mid-1980s. That was scary to me because someone like me needs to get to a meeting. But we met some wonderful people, and, and um, it was a very cool experience. They did something at, at the first meeting that I went to that was really beautiful, and I want to do this. Um, whenever I get a chance, I want to mention this because I thought it was really cool. I'd like to, if I ever started a meeting someday or participated in starting a meeting, I, I would like to include this that the, the, the leader asked if anybody was there for the first meeting, and this gentleman raised his hand, and she said to that person, uh, you know, do you have a, uh, a desire to stop drinking? And that person said yes. And they said, uh, we would like to welcome you to this meeting, and we would like to welcome you to all AA meetings in St. Petersburg, and we would also like to welcome you to all of AA in the world. You belong here. And uh, I had never heard that before. I thought that was really cool. I love that. I love that. It's interesting because this fellowship called AA and this at first concept and now relationship called God accepted me at my worst. When I hit my physical bottom where I, I couldn't deal with drinking anymore and I couldn't deal with life anymore, bless you, I came to this fellowship, and you people welcomed me, and I was at my worst. 
And that was also the same period of time that my higher power put people in my life and that my journey of this relationship with this power, because I think there's a big difference between the concept called God and the relationship and conscious contact with that power, um, began. And, again, I was at my worst. And this power came into my life at my worst. And I can only imagine what this power would do with me as a tool to reach others like myself or like I used to be or however you want to word it. Um, I love that concept of a higher power that at my worst. You know, the, uh, one of the things that I got emotional about in Russia was um, we went to uh, – they have these incredible places in St. Petersburg. Uh, the Tsars had these buildings that were just unbelievable um, palaces and, and squandered of wealth. I don't want to say squandered, but just, you know, um, the way the buildings are and the way the rooms are and the way everything's painted and the, the, the outline of the wood and the floors, it was just unbelievable. And uh, my favorite spiritual story of all time, uh, there was a painting there of it. And I had, I had seen it somewhere, but I had never really seen it, and, and I was in front of it, and it was the, the story of the prodigal son, which is our story, everyone, everyone's story. And uh, I immediately bought a poster, and, and it's my, it's, it's my f absolute favorite spiritual story because at this boy's worst, the father accepted him. And ran and, and took him back. And that's my story. I love AA history. Um, I brought a little story. This is from Dr. Bob and a Good Old Timers, another book that nobody ever reads. Um, anybody who, who, who perhaps at some time might get into AA history, uh, Dr. Bob and a Good Old Timers is the book I would suggest people start with. Uh, and in this story, in this book, uh, uh, it has this cool story. Um, I, I love stuff like this. I've, I've started to accumulate uh, interesting and humorous AA stories um, from uh, from the past, from early AA, because there's there's a whole bunch of these really cool stories that are just you know it's it's the it's the famous it's the famous experience of you know a truth is just so much better than anything that can be made up. You know what I mean? It's just the truth is just so much more far fetched than anything anybody could ever think of. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, I, I, I remember hearing somebody say one time that, that all wisdom is plagiarized and only stupidity is original. You know what I mean? And, and that is just like so true. That's, I mean, I can only speak for me. I don't know about anybody else. But And this is the story. It says that uh, there was a man named Bob who was brought to the program just as he was about to do himself in. A few days later, Bob went on a 12-step call with Walter C. The prospect they went to visit listened to them and said, what you have to say is very interesting, but I don't think it's for me. However, I have a friend whose brother could really use your help. Who is he, asked Bob. I don't know his name, but his sister's name is Edith M. Why, that's my sister, said Bob, who had just been advised to make a 12-step call on himself. Okay, that's all the readings I have until the end. Like I said, I'm not really a junkalog person. Um, I also have no idea what time I started, so maybe you can keep an eye on the time because I can only go um, maybe an hour or something. <coughs> the CD only goes 80 minutes, so you, you don't have to stay past that. There, there's a word that pretty much covers my first 30 years, and that word is – can't think of it now. <laughs> no, that's not it. It had to do with my inner condition of, of, of all that fear and all that disgrace and all of that discomfort and all of that um, oh, insecurity. That's the word. Um, 
I used to sometimes describe it as, you know, just a ball of fear, just a, uh, a sense of being different, not being comfortable in my own skin. But I heard someone talk about um, insecurity one day, and I was like, that's it. That's the word. That's, that's the first 30 years of my life. Um, I always felt on the outside. I always, uh, I always felt different. I, I remember hearing somebody at a meeting one time say that, you know, I always expected some UFO spaceship to land next to my house, and then the aliens walk in and say, okay, Bill, it's time to go home, because that wouldn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like, I just never felt comfortable here. I never felt a part of it. I, I came from a very wonderful, loving family. Truly, I, I came from the Brady Bunch. And I, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way. I literally came from an incredibly loving, incredibly wonderful, uh, religious, supportive, nurturing, wonderful family. And, and, you know, like what happened to me? You know what I mean? Like it pretty much, it pretty much uh, expels the theory of, you know, if only my family was better or if only, you know, I had wealth or, you know, if only I was supported and loved by my parents. Believe me, it made no difference in my life whatsoever. I hated me, and the insecurities were rampant, and it didn't make any difference in my life whatsoever. Um, and I certainly played. I, I certainly saw that the major part that I played in that was as soon as I started taking inventory, um, which is another thing that isn't talked about a lot at meetings. But um, um, what I've seen in early AA, and what I've seen in working with people, is is our, our literature talks about getting into the process immediately and quickly. Um, I don't understand the theory of, you know, wait a while, you know, wait to get better and then get into the steps. I didn't get better until I got into the steps. Um, and, it, and, and it's taken me a few times through the steps now, starting with the first step, not just going to four, but starting with the first step and recommitting myself through the process and having a deeper experience and, and finding whole other areas of my life that need to be looked at that, you know, three years earlier when I did my first four step didn't really seem to be that important or that I didn't really want to look at at the time that, that has brought me to a place of just so much freedom and so much, you know, besides the insecurity thing, there was one thing that drove me crazy even, even halfway through my recovery period, and that was that I wasn't able to convey love to people that I cared for. That they never they, they never acted the way I want them to, and therefore now I need to act inappropriately. I need to yell. I need to 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 manipulate. I, you know, I, I I there are people that I cared for, but in many cases, except for a few, you probably wouldn't even have known it because of ways I had just recently acted. You know what I mean? Um, and and. and when you got a lot of that going on in your head and, and you, you see that, you know, people always said I had potential and I always, I always hated that, you know, I had potential, you know. What does that mean, you know? I'm, never, I'm living up to it. What are, you, what are you talking about? You know, I have potential. What does that mean? Now I see what that means. And the interesting thing is that we all have potential because we all have a higher power than us. And uh, I never really saw that. I always saw a higher power as up there, over there, over there, you know what I mean? Like out there, you know, it's... When I first came here, I really didn't want to pray because then God would know where I was. <laughs> and now there isn't a day or a moment that I don't want to pray, you know. Um, you can't get there from here. That's my story. You can't get there from here. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm trying to get through life. I'm trying to get through life. And it, and it sucks. It just sucks. Life just sucks. I, I don't... I don't get it. It's not clicking. It's not working. I, and I, I wouldn't consider another way besides my own, which I think is another key principle in AA, is that we need to consider another way besides our own because my way didn't work um, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It didn't work. But I never noticed that. <clears throat> and then I found alcohol. Yes. Alcohol is cool when it works. Alcohol is wonderful when it's working and you're an alcoholic. It's wonderful. It's super. It's stupendous. It's, it's, it's the elixir of life. It quiets the voices. It quiets the voices to one voice, and that's drink more. You know what I mean? The, the guilt kind of just, the fear kind of subsides. The guilt, the, the, the void, you know what I mean? The committee kind of just goes to sleep for a little while and, 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 Everybody all of a sudden looks good. You know, all of a sudden I clicked with the people around me. All of a sudden everything's okay. You know what I mean? The problem was that 
like I said, at, at 17, I went to this party, and at 30, I came home from that party. You know what I mean? If you interfered with my drinking, I have a problem with you. You're not around much anymore. Um, because you don't understand. Because these were non-alcoholic people. They weren't having the same experience I was having. They didn't find the elixir of life when they drank. They didn't, it didn't quiet the voices. Maybe they didn't even have the voices. I don't know. But when I drank, I felt comfortable in my own skin. When I drank, I was comfortable talking to you. didn't matter who you were. If you weren't talking to me when I was drinking, I felt bad for you. <laughs> if you weren't talking to me when I wasn't drinking, I understood. You know what I mean? Like, there, there was this... There was this transition that occurred within me that only, only an alcoholic experiences, and you know, all know what I'm talking about. And, and uh, you know, people made statements like, you know, I, I don't want another drink because I'm feeling the first one. You know, like, I'm feeling the first one. That's why I want to go have, you know what I mean? <laughs> and the thing was is, you know, I look at them strange. They look at me strange. They go home. They have a normal life. They're happy. I stay at the bar. I have money, and it's open. Why would you go home? Yeah, my wife said to come home too, but, you know, it just, what difference does that make? It just, it just, you know, the voices have quieted down. Let's stay here for a while, you know what I mean? And then, and then you go home and you got to deal with all that and, and you make stuff up. And, and there were times that I went home and, and started an argument so I could go back to drinking. You know what I mean? And then I wondered why my wife wanted me to go. And I did inventory, and I realized if she had treated me the way I treated her, I wouldn't have wanted to be with her either. And then I felt bad because up until that point, she was Satan. And then I did inventory, and all of a sudden, I'm Satan. You know what I mean? And I want to, I want to apologize to this woman because I treated her like dirt. And I had never seen that before I did inventory. She was Satan up until that moment. And I'm grateful for that because the process of the steps acquainted me with something that I was not familiar with, and that was something called reality. So drinking helped me with my life. I'm grateful for drinking. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't find alcohol. I might have taken somebody else out. I might have taken myself out. Uh, i got to be honest with you, uh, from what I've read, um, the inner condition of an alcoholic, which is relieved by alcohol, is the same inner condition of those people that you hear about every once in a while that go up to the top of the building and start shooting at college students. Because, but they don't have anything to, to, to relieve that inner craziness. We drink, and that relieves the inner craziness for a short period of time when it's working for us. And then when it's not working for us, then now what are we going to do? Because going up to a building to shoot college students isn't an option for me. And it looks bad on a resume. <laughs> and on and on it went. Um, people came in and out of my life. I had these nightmare experiences. I, I couldn't face myself. Uh, I was about to lose, lose another job. Um, I went into one rehab. It was an outpatient rehab. Those kind of things don't work for people like me. Um, every single urine test that they surprised me with, I failed. Every single one. But I didn't have a problem. And I wasn't there because I thought I had a problem. I was trying to get my wife back. I was trying to get my parents off my back. I was trying to, to, to look like things are doing well so I could borrow again. You know what I mean? And... Uh, I, w I was in AA for a year and three weeks, and I went back out because I had gotten into a relationship that I wasn't. I was suggested that I not get into, which, as a uh, um, a person with alcoholism that's still running on self-will, when you tell me not to do something, that's why I do it. Um, and it's interesting because with sponsees now, I I I, uh, I work with that, and I'll say to people, "Don't read the big book." Because I know they'll probably do it, just despite me. Little did they know I wanted them to do that to begin with. But um, I couldn't deal with the emotions of a breakup of this relationship, and the only thing that ever helped me with that was drinking. So why wouldn't I drink? Because I didn't find any solutions here. I hadn't changed my life. I hadn't 
come in contact with reality yet because I was still doing all those things that I always used to do, cheating and lying and scamming and, and total disregard for everybody pretty much. Um, Self-will run riot to an extreme. So I went back. And it started as if I had never stopped for that year in three weeks. Um, within a month, I was partying more than I was the year and, uh, year and three weeks before I had stopped. Um, and then five months after that passed, and, and I was again at the point where I wasn't getting invited to family functions, and I was finding out about weddings after the fact, and I was about to lose my job again. And nobody, I found out about parties after the fact, which pissed me off because, of course, I'd want to be there as long as they had enough booze. And um, I finally went into my, my second and, and third attempt, um, my second rehab and my third attempt at this thing called, you know, how do you not drink? Um, and that was a rehab called uh, Clearbrook in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm grateful to that place. And, and to be honest with you, there was nothing different about that place than other places I had been. The only reason why it was different was because I had surrendered. I let it work. That's the only reason why it worked. Um, and I did all the things they asked me to do, and it was a very cool experience. Uh, I cried about stuff I, I thought I'd never share with people. Um, I did many things in that place that I thought I would, I would bring to my grave. And uh, something I always like sharing, which a lot of people have told me they can relate to, is that you know, the first week that I was there, I had a lot of fear because, you know, I had, I had tried to stop before, but I, I wasn't sure if I really meant it. I, I just, you know, you have kind of fear associated with, oh, you know, it's just another one of these things. I, I don't even know if I'm really going to try. And then the second week, I had a lot of fear because I started remembering some of the stuff I had done, which was a nightmare. And then the third week, I had a lot of fear because I wasn't sure if I was taking full advantage of my time there. And then the fourth week, I, I had fear because I was leaving in a couple of days. And, and um, but it was a really wonderful experience. And, and, there were some really key conversations that I had there. And before I went there, a gentleman who drove me, they, they, he came two hours and 45 minutes to pick me up in Donnell, New Jersey, from um, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And I don't remember anything this dude said except for just before we got to the place, he, he suggested that I try to uh, act as if I don't know anything and to start over. Don't try to build upon that lame foundation that you thought you had after a year and three weeks. Start as if you don't know anything because obviously what you thought you knew didn't work for you, so you need to start from point zero. And, and that was really great advice. That, that absolutely set the tone of my, my period of time in that rehab, and I'm grateful for it. And then I left, and I got involved. Um, my family, this isn't the truth, but this is just kind of how I see it. My, my family kind of has to love me, but I, I came into this, this fellowship and you people really didn't want anything from me, and you really did want me to come back. And I, I hadn't experienced that in years. You know what I mean? I mean, why would you want me to come back? I mean, I, I suck the life out of everything I get in, involved in, and then, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll rip you off in a heartbeat and then help you look for it. <laughs> and I, I felt something here that I, I had never really felt. And, and my family was very wonderful and loving, but I didn't love myself. And, and I kind of felt like they had to kind of treat me that way. And I came here, and you people did that magic something, that, that, that uncritical acceptance and that unconditional love that helps you a whole lot more than it helps me, but it helped me a whole lot. Um, and I'm grateful for it. You know, I had said earlier about the, the physical, mental, and spiritual. Um, and then I started looking at it a little bit more closely, and I started seeing that it, it really is all spiritual. That, that certain something that we experience when we come to these meetings and that, that interaction of wisdom and, and that somebody's having a problem, let's go over there and talk to them, and that, that welcome and that, that sharing from the heart, that's all really very spiritual. I don't know how regular people do it. You know what I mean? Like, we have a place to go. A lot of people don't have that. And maybe they get it, you know, in their families or friends or whatever, but it's just a mind-blowing experience involving ourselves in the fellowship. But it's really all spiritual, that heart-to-heart, -heart, that feeling, that sense of acceptance and all of that that we do in the fellowship is really all spiritual. It's really incredible. 
Um, and then the process of the steps is really all spiritual because you get real and you start taking inventory and you start trying to move in a certain direction. And, and you know, the being of service is, is you know, pure spiritual practice. And, and I just started seeing it's not a physical, mental, and spiritual solution. It's a spiritual solution. Um, and I believe that. And I have cotton mouth. I still drink too much. <clears throat> and that certain something happened to me, and you, and you people drew me in. And uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the people that were in my life at the time, and I'm, I'm grateful for all of that. Um, it was an incredible experience. But you see, I really thought that alcohol was my problem, so not drinking was my solution. So this step stuff and this over-involvement of service, it really just doesn't apply to me. It's for you hardcore people. You know what I mean? Like you, quote, unquote. You know what I mean? Uh, it just didn't seem to apply to me. I, I had seen principles like that before in my religion. I had practiced, tried to practice some of them. It, it just, what does that have anything to do with what my problem is? You know what I mean? Like it just didn't seem to apply. It just didn't seem, you know, I, I often say that the steps are intellectually insulting. You know what I mean? Like my, you know, what I would come up as a theory for how to deal with this stuff would be so much better than the steps, you know what I mean? But guess what? My way never works. So why am I even thinking like that? You know what I mean? I, I remember I was down in Arizona at a, at a rehab speaking, and, and I, I, I said something that I'm sure might have been kind of rude, but I meant it. <laughs> and uh, what, what, what I said was that, you know, if, if, a new, if, a, if, a, if I start working with a new person, I have to assume that your plan sucks. You know what I mean? Like, your best thinking got you here. You know what I mean? Like, my best thinking got me here three times. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I, but I wasn't considering another way besides my own. I just wasn't drinking. And I thought that was really all I needed to do. And that was when I talked about earlier about the three and a half years of just spiraling misery and going to meetings and getting involved and, and it not, you know, it just touching the surface of what, what the real issue was. And uh, now I, I see that alcohol isn't my problem. To be honest with you, alcohol is my solution. That my problem is, is alcoholism. My problem is the way that I don't adjust well with other people and with life and with my own emotions and all of that. That that's my problem and that's why I drink. Drinking helps me with that. Drinking is my solution. It's not my problem. And that's why I need to do a whole lot more. And, you know, I don't have a problem with this saying, but I see it at a deeper level now that, that uh, the expression uh, uh, one day at a time that our literature says throughout that what my commitment needs to be is, is to not drink for the rest of my life and to live one day at a time. That if, if I just need to not drink one day at a time, and that's a really good concept for a beginner and for, you know, somebody that just needs to get through a day, but... Um, if, if I'm just looking to not drink for today, I don't really have to do much to do that anymore. But if I'm trying to not drink for the rest of my life, there's a whole lot I need to be doing on a daily basis in order to achieve that. So I just see that slogan at a, at a much deeper level now and at a, at a little bit of a different level now. And I don't disagree with the, the basic concept of not drinking one day at a time, but I just see that slogan a little bit deeper today in that I need to do a whole lot of things if I want to not drink for the rest of my life, and, that, and that's my goal. Um, But I didn't realize it at this time in my story. Um, it's interesting because um, I shared uh, some of my inner insanity at a meeting. And uh, afterwards, a couple of people came up to me and said, you know, Bill, it sounds like you need to get into the steps. And um, I, I just, I really didn't think the steps applied to me. It just seemed kind of not really what would get at my problem. And... Um, I went to another meeting where I didn't know anybody, and I shared a little bit of it there. And some people that didn't know me came up to me after the meeting and said, Bill, it sounds like you need to get into the steps. And <laughs> I thought the people from the first meeting told the people at the second meeting to tell me that. <laughs> and uh, I talked a little bit with my sponsor, and he kind of said the same thing, and some people that I respected. And, and I started getting into the process of the steps. And... I kind of, I didn't have a falling out with my sponsor, but we kind of started drifting in different directions, and I wasn't even sure if he was going to meetings anymore, and, and we weren't getting together when we were supposed to, and I, it just wasn't working. And although I had started writing a four-step, I made the tragic mistake of putting it down for a little while. And for those of you who have ever done that, or for those of you who are currently doing that, 
what you'll find is that you begin to start reliving that nightmare that you wrote down on that piece of paper because you've brought to your consciousness certain things of the way you were and certain memories and you start to relive that stuff and it has to be processed and it needs to be processed as quickly as possible because it's a nightmare. And uh, I put it down for a while and I did start to relive some of that stuff. Um, and I started to act in some of those old ways even worse than I had up until the point that I had started writing inventory. And, and I, I ended up going to the Area 44 convention up in Somerset The water went right up my nose. <laughs> Is that like a nasal enema or something? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> Get the tape just for that. And uh, I can't believe I said that. It's so inappropriate. Um, and... Um, I ran into a gentleman who I had known for the three years I had been around, and he had about seven years. And, and uh, I had seen that about a year earlier something had happened in his life. And he was sharing different at meetings, and he started to have that look in his eye that those spiritual people have that, that I hated so much because it, was any, it wasn't anywhere near my experience. And you could see he was just comfortable within himself, and he just had this way about him that was attractive yet offensive. Um, and I shared a couple things with him, and, and um, after a couple things I had said, he kind of snickered and, and laughed, and, and I finally just stopped and said, you know, I don't really appreciate you laughing at me because I'm sharing some really hor horrendous current gut stuff with you, and I don't really see what's so funny. And uh, he looked at me like those spiritual people do, and he said, Bill, I'm sure it doesn't feel like it, and I'm sure you don't know it right now, but you're really in a wonderful place. You can either go back to what you know, or you can consider another way besides your own. And uh, that was when I reached my, my emotional, spiritual bottom in AA, three and a half years. Can't blame alcohol for it, because I hadn't drank in three years. All I could blame was the way I was living my life and the way I was thinking. And that was the only thing I could blame. And that was when I hit my real emotional, spiritual, psychological, and spiritual bottom. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Um, and that was when I became desperate to consider another way besides my own. And that's when I got into the process, and that's when my life changed for the better. And it still continues to for eight, eight nine years now. Um, and that's what I want to talk about. How much, how much time? That's about 45? All right, cool. I have plenty of time. What he also started sharing was that uh, a year earlier, he had hit a similar bottom. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't know how he made it seven years. I, I was at three and a half years, and I was considering killing myself. Uh, and if this is what it's going to be like, I might as well just drink because this sucks. And not being able to share it with anybody because i got to look good. You know what I mean? i got this image, ego, pride thing going. And um, people are coming to sponsor. They ask me to sponsor them. You know what I mean? And I can't let them know I'm doing bad, you know? None of them stayed sober, and I'm not sure why, but um, um, <laughs> and I couldn't blame alcohol. And that was when I finally saw that there's a whole lot more going on here than, than this alcohol is my problem, so don't drink is my solution. And that was when I started seeing the, the spiritual, psychological, emotional, and mental aspects of alcoholism that I had never noticed and I had never really heard people talk about too much. And I'm grateful for those people that came into my life at that time that started talking about it and started talking to me about the circle and triangle, that there's three parts of the solution, not just go to meetings. And uh, this gentleman also shared with me that what had happened to him a year earlier was that he had gone to a big book study and he started hearing things that he had never heard before. And um, he started working the process out of the big book and every area of his life had changed for the better. And now a year later, he was there to carry that message to me. He was uniquely qualified to reach me. That's what God does. And I'm grateful to that man. And I hope I can do that for, for those around me. And coincidentally, in a few weeks, there was going to be another big book study, and coincidentally, he had a fire for it. 
So I went because I had done lots of stuff, and it, it wasn't working for me. I needed to consider another way besides my own. And I went to this study, and I started hearing stuff that I had never heard before. I started hearing about the disease and the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of alcoholism. Because you see, up until that point, I really thought that alcohol was my problem, so not drinking was my solution. But I also wasn't really sure if I was an alcoholic. I thought maybe I was a heavy drinker because that was what my mind started telling me. Because I didn't have a low bottom. And I still had a job and I still had a car. And I had a family, but of course they weren't talking to me when I came in. But um, I didn't have a low bottom. And whether I, I wasn't a chronic relapser, but I did have to go to two rehabs and, and uh, I did relapse out of AA in between those two. So I'm now sort of uniquely qualified to reach certain people because um, I lived that hell in AA not seeking a spiritual solution. And I see it everywhere. And I went to this study. They started talking about that when an alcoholic drinks, they set off a craving where they want more drinking. They want to drink more. They can't safely predict how much they're going to drink once they start. And I was like, that used to happen to me. I, I, was, I, over, I always overshot the mark. You know what I mean? I started drinking so I could talk to the women, and then I was too drunk to talk to the women. You know what I mean? It's, I started drinking to look good, and then I was thrown up in the bathroom. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you got to drink before the party, at the party. You know what I mean? You got to get the six pack going. You know what I mean? You got to, you know what I mean? You got to keep it going. You know what I mean? You got to work it. It's a lot of work. Um, it's an amazing amount of work. I don't know how I did it. I really don't. We have such an incredible adaptability as alcoholics. We have such an incredible. We're, we're born actors, you know what I mean? It's amazing the things that we get away with, you know what I mean? Um, and it, they talked about the, the, uh, that alcohol does something for an alcoholic that it doesn't do for a non-alcoholic, that it gives me an, an ease and comfort. It gives me a relief. It gives me comfortable in my own skin. And I was like, I can totally relate to that. And I'd never seen that or heard that. And then they talked about the mental aspects of alcoholism, the obsession that once I start, once I stop, I end up going back to it. That my mind doesn't see the truth that alcohol is causing me problems. It just thinks about the relief that's going to come once I start drinking. This time it's going to be different. The craziness begins. And then drinking becomes a reality. And then the spiritual aspect of alcoholism, which is the, the, the one that continues whether we are drinking or not as alcoholics, the one that continues until we start seriously seeking a spiritual solution on a daily basis and on an ongoing basis. And um, that's called the spiritual malady um, or being spiritually blocked. And there's so many ways, of, there's so many ways that the big book described that, you know, restless, irritable, and discontented. That restless is just that sense of something's missing. And irritable is easily annoyed. Easily annoyed was my middle name for, you know, <laughs> 35 years, you know. Nobody ever acted the way I wanted them to. Don't you, you know, don't, if you act the way I want you to, you'll be happy. I'll be happy, and the whole world will be better. You know, what, what greater description of playing God is that than that? You know what I mean? I love that when the when the when the when our literature busts us with thinking like that. How could they have known thirty? You know, sixty nine years ago. Next week is Founders Day. You know what I mean? I'm so grateful to have been born during a period of time. There is something I could do about my alcoholism. So I started getting into the process, and I started seeing that, that my situation was a whole lot more desperate than I thought it was. And that if I, was, if I continued on the way that I was, if I was lucky, I would drink. And if I wasn't lucky, I would get progressively miserable as time passed. And neither one of those options are, are acceptable. Neither one of those options are, are options as far as I'm concerned. And I became desperate. And that drove me into having a really deep step, too, because I came from a religious family, and, and that kind of, you know, this God thing, you know, it's, it's intellectually insulting. You can't prove it. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's this really kind of interesting concept, and we have no real background in it. And, you know, even, even priests and, and ministers and rabbis come here to learn about God. You know what I mean? And, 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 and there's a big difference. At that time, I really had a concept and I had a belief, but I had no relationship with that power. I had no conscious contact 
I had no sense of oneness with that which, which is within all of us. I remember reading in a piece of spiritual literature, it said that uh, we are all wells, and at the bottom of, of every well, the same water runs through it. And I believe that. But I had, I, up until this point in my story, I, I didn't really have that. I just had a belief. I had a willingness. I wanted to move in that direction, but I needed to start with some kind of a concept that would work for me because the concept that I had before that didn't work for me. I believe in a judgmental get even. He's going to get you. You're going to hell for doing stuff like that kind of a God, and, and that didn't work for me. My religion and my family passed along in understanding, you know, their understanding of a higher power. I never really had my own. I agreed with you and I yesed you and, and I could probably talk pretty good about it, but three o'clock when three o'clock in the morning came, I had nothing to turn to. Um, and besides, God's up there, over there, out there, you know, what does that have to do with, you know, my day to day life? And then I made a decision and um Something I had never seen before because I had been to meetings for for um, those three and a half years where I, I had heard, you know, just do the first three steps for a while. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Just do the first three steps for a while. And uh, I, I read this one line, and it's one of the few lines in, in our literature that I have memorized, or at least it's one of the few lines that I admit that I have memorized. And uh, that line is at the end of the third step in the big book, and it says that, Though our decision is a, a vital and crucial step that it has little permanent effect unless we at once strenuously go on with the rest of the process. That um, this decision, this third step decision is just a decision. You know, we made a decision to come down here today, but if I didn't follow it with action, I wouldn't be standing here today. Um, that this third step decision has little permanent effect unless it at once go on with a rigorous attempt to do the rest of the steps, especially four through nine and then the rest of the process. That... The first three steps, I believe, bring me to the point where I'm willing to turn my will and my life over to a higher power. But steps four through nine is how I turn my will and my life over to a higher power. And then steps 10, 11, and 12 is how I stay moved in that direction indefinitely going forward. And then as I fall short in keeping perfect spiritual focus in all of my affairs, I fall short and things start to accumulate, and then I go back and go through the process again. And there was my key because I had been in one, two, three, one, two, three. And why is it I keep taking my will back? What, you know, and then as I did those middle steps, something happened. The steps suddenly did not become, the steps suddenly were not intellectually insulting anymore. Suddenly the steps ripped me apart and opened me up and got me in touch with something within me that is infinitely more wonderful as time passes. And that is very much here and now and is very much a part of my everyday, every moment life, and that with every fiber of my being, I want to stay connected with that power because it's the greatest buzz I've ever had. It's gotten me everything I always looked for in that bottle, and that bottle always fell short, but it was the only thing that kind of seemed to sort of head in that direction, so let's just stay with the bottle because it kind of works. And now you people in this process has transformed me. And this can happen for all of us. And this has happened for many of us. And the only way they could ever pay that back is to try to pass it along to somebody else. And that doesn't even come close to pay it back. I wrote an inventory. This inventory was pathetic and embarrassing. I had never seen this stuff in such a full view. I had never seen this stuff in such a obvious, with such an obvious tool, looking at resentments, looking at fears, and looking at my sex life and my harms to others. And not just seeing the things that I had done wrong, but finding out what's the exact nature of my wrong. The fifth step doesn't say that we admit our wrongs. It says we, we admit our, the exact nature of our wrongs. I need to see why I did these things, not, to, not just that I did these things. It's more than just confession, quote-unquote. It's 
It's the exact nature of my wrongs. And I love that. Because that was when I first came face to face in any kind of substantial way with that word called reality. And it wasn't very pretty. And I desperately wanted to consider another way besides my own. And I desperately wanted to seek this higher power to help me. Because because if my problem is, is my life run on my will, and if my problem is self-centeredness and all of that, if I'm trying to make myself unself-centered, I'm still being self-centered. That if my thinking, if, if self-will and self-knowledge is really what my problem is, that's the only thing I have going for me, is self-will and self-knowledge. That's the only thing that I have going for me, and the big book talks about that that's the exact problem. So if the only thing I have going for me is the exact thing that wants me either very miserable or very drunk, I desperately need to consider another way. I desperately need to seek this other part that's within me. I kind of see the two parts within our being as ego, which is the, the, the unhealthy voice, and higher power or God or Holy Spirit or Buddha nature or Christ consciousness or your conscience as the healthy voice. And that's the part that I need to start seeking. And that's the part I need to stay connected with. And that's why I do all of this stuff to stay with that because when I'm listening to my ego, my life run on my will is a nightmare. And I saw it for the first time. I harmed everybody I came in contact with. I don't want to live that way anymore. And it was really obvious. And in 6 and 7, I desperately saw it another way. I desperately asked this part within me to please help me to, to listen to you more. And then started going to make amends to people that, that in some cases didn't even know I did it. And something happened. And I can't explain it. And every once in a while, I don't even like it because, you know, there's, there's ramifications to listening to the ego and there's ramifications of listening to a higher power. Inevitably, the, the listening to the higher power is, is just so infinitely incredible, but you just don't realize it at the time. All of a sudden, things that were really important to me, I needed to strip from my life. I've lost the concept of if it feels good, it must be good, and if it feels bad, it must be bad, because my experience with the process of the steps has shown me that when my ego wants to hold on to something, it doesn't feel very nice when I'm getting ripped away from it. But I have never really become grateful for that experience. I've had people ripped out of my life that I, that I thought I would spend the rest of my life with. I've had things that were meant a lot to me that were stripped from my life that I thought I couldn't live without. And today I'm grateful for those experiences because I didn't see them as problems. I didn't see them as bad things. I saw them as opportunities for growth. And I'm grateful for the teachers that have shown me that. Prayer, meditation, working with people, constant inventory. There's a line that uh, I think captures the essence of. You might notice that. Um, how much time do I have? All right, cool. <laughs> I have plenty of time. This is so cool. <laughs> I think that there's a, there's a sentence. You might notice that the fourth step talks about a moral inventory and the tenth step talks about a personal inventory. And, and for those of you that haven't noticed that wording, which was in, incredible about the people in the early days, and especially Bill Wilson, that, that they picked words so perfectly, just so incredibly perfectly, um, that a moral inventory is sort of a general relationship conduct inventory, and then a personal inventory is just an inner inventory. And what I found by doing the moral inventory is that either by something that I did or didn't do, or by the way I chose to think about what had happened, I had created all my problems. A duh. <laughs> so the tense that talks about a personal inventory, because it's all about me anyway. You know what I mean? Spiritually, it's all about me. And like a lot of people said, you know, there's, there's more than a relationship than with, like, you know, close personal, um, you know, relationship like that, that there's a relationship with a higher power and there's a relationship with myself. And that was when those two relationships really started to explode.
and that brought about my relationships with other people being so much better. And um, I, I, I became a, a, a spiritual seeker, um, a spiritual um, discoverer for myself. Um, and that was when I started seeing that really this whole process and this whole solution is about spirituality. And that was when, uh, you know, the priority of prayer and meditation each day. And uh, what I was saying before was that there's a sentence that captures the essence of this, this personal inventory that, that the 10-step talks about and the 11-step talks about a little bit too. And that's the line that... Uh, how I take personal inventory is, is there's a line at the end of step 11, and it talks about when agitated or doubtful, we pause and ask for the right action and, and thought. And for me, that's the essence of what I do as an inventory, that when I'm agitated or doubtful, that's, that means that the egos come in, that agitation is, is emotional and doubtful is, is thought. And um, like it was said earlier, I need to have an alteration of my attitude and outlook and in my inventorying myself, it's not like I walk around saying, oh, what's going on now? I, as soon as I get into agitation or doubt, I know that something is wrong and I need to step back and I need to get back on the beam again because when I'm connected, everything's smooth and everything's comfortable in my skin and there's no agitation and there's no doubt. I just know what the next right thing is to do and I'm really comfortable with what's going on around me. And as soon as I'm uncomfortable again, I know I'm blocked and I need to look at that. And I need to step out and say, where is this coming from? And I can use the process of four through nine to find out, what's, am I being selfish? Where's fear? You know. And then I'm back on the beam again, and then I'm stepping out easy. And that's 90% of my life now. And it's just an amazing kind of a thing that we have tools for life here when they're really great concepts and they really sound good, but it's so much better when we actually, like, apply them to our life. You know what I mean? Like, we can talk about it at meetings and stuff like that. It's really good, but when we actually apply them, you know, when, we have, when, when a relationship is breaking up, we can actually apply certain things that, that bring us to have a deeper experience with it and, and to use it as a, a, a tool to, to grow and to be better people and to not make, make the same mistakes in the future. Because I don't know about anybody else, but there's only one thing worse than saying, you know, I'm sorry. And that's saying, I'm sorry again. You know what I mean? We're allowed to make new mistakes because we should have learned from those old ones. You know what I mean? And don't get me wrong, there's a recurring thing in, in my life still, but it's just such a minimum experience today. You know what I mean? To go from 99% misery and 1%, you know, just pass out, you know what I mean? Just, you know, escape to, you know, 80% peace and comfort with the world around me and, you know, Minor turmoil every once in a while. That's the other 10 or 5 or whatever percent. Again, like I said earlier, you can't get there from here. You know what I mean? You, you can't get there from here. And, and that's, for me, the essence of, of my current life. The essence of being connected and the essence of practicing these principles in all of my affairs and the essence of trying to pass along a message and the essence of staying involved in a fellowship and staying involved in a program and staying involved in being of service, not only in AA but in, in all my affairs. I can be of service to that 80-year-old woman that was on her knees begging in Russia. I pray for that woman every day now. And I tried to help her a little financially. And little by little, the world in my past was a more evil place because I was in it. And today, the world is a much better place because I'm in it. You can't get there from here. What happened? I have no idea. I considered another way besides my own. You know, we were out in Russia and, and Lean and I have been going out for about four months now, and, and I guess five months on June 6th, not that I'm counting. <laughs> no, I think it's six months or five months or whatever, five months. And um, I met her family out in Russia, and, and incredible, wonderful time out, out, out there for ten days. And um, I hung out with her nephew, and uh, we had heard back from his father some of the things that he had said after hanging out with us. and. 
this little boy said that we are the kindest people he had ever met. You can't get there from here. I was an evil, wicked person. I did things to people that I'm ashamed of. And now people like being around me. The hell is that all about? <laughs> and, and this all happened here. This all happened here. This all happened here. How could I not be excited about it? How could I not want to scream this at the mountaintops to everybody that I meet? How could I not want to share with somebody and see that this, this experience happens to them? How could I not maintain it? How could I not want it to grow? How could I not come to this town in front of you wonderful people to, to share my excitement and my gem and my secret and me with you? I can't not come here. I can't shut it off. As soon as I slow down, there's an urgent need to, to continue. Why would I keep this from someone and say, you know, don't get into the steps for a year because, you know, you know, just, you know, stay with your misery for a year. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I don't mean this as a criticism to anybody that might say that to people. I'm not here to judge you. If you feel that's right, that's perfectly good. It's just not how I do it. I want to close with this. Um, this is called a reflection on prayer. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. I was given illness that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have people's praise. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayer was answered. I am among all people most richly blessed. <laughs>